Welcome to episode 25 of Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I'm your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds, and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women, and their parents, to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. Have you ever watched the movie The Patriot with um, Mel Gibson and Heath Ledger, among others? Yes, I have. I have. I live under a rock, so no. (laughs) So the Patriot doesn't show under a rock. My family has established the tradition of watching that great American movie on or about the 4th of July every year. My wife and daughters customarily bake summer pies of all varieties. Peach, apple, cherry, blueberry. And we eat those pies while watching the movie. We typically take a break in the middle. Pie break, pause. It's a yummy tradition. Sounds delicious. It's kind of making me hungry right now. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> pie does better than... We're very, pie. we're very grateful for the Kit Kats and cookies, but pie would be really good right now. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a scene in that movie where Mel Gibson's character, Benjamin Martin, is debating a group of other colonists about the prudence of entering a war with the British. Although eventually Benjamin Martin has no choice but to defend his family and his nation in the face of the British who are literally fighting in their backyards... Early in the movie, Benjamin Martin, who's haunted by the memory of the violence he experienced in the French and Indian War a few years earlier, desperately tries to avoid another conflict. In response to his fellow patriots passionately urging him to stand up to British tyranny in the colonies, to join them in the fight for freedom against all efforts by the king to strip them of their God-given rights, Benjamin Martin replies, "'Would you please tell me, Mr. Howard,' Why should I trade one tyrant 3,000 miles away for 3,000 tyrants one mile away? An elected legislature can trample a man's rights as easily as a king can. Well, after two years of watching the church in America prioritize its mission according to the pre-selected categories established by the media, government, and the culture at large, like pray to end the scourge of COVID, pray for our frontline heroes— and and that's limited to doctors and nurses, repent and fast concerning Afghanistan, and most recently, pray for Ukraine. I find myself wanting to express similar sentiments as Benjamin Martin. I would think that Benjamin Martin... Benjamin Martin might... (laughs) (laughs) I would think that Benjamin Martin might say something like this. Would you please tell me, American Evangelical Church, why should I pray for what the government, media, and culture dictate is important while ignoring the real dangers right under my nose? Are we to exercise our compassion and devote the full force of our Christian faith indiscriminately chasing and seeking to end what the government, the media, and culture determine should be our priority at the expense of the things to which God might be calling us to address? When the government, media, and culture tell us to be concerned about something they define as tragic, important, urgent, or dangerous, the church in America wastes no time in joining the public chorus. 
They send out emails, arrange conferences, ask their membership to support hastily assembled legislation, and urge fasting, repentance, and prayers for those matters most discussed by all of the important people in society, never pausing to reflect that what they're being told by the government, media, and the culture at large to care about might have been selected for a very specific and different purpose. So instead of beginning with the Word of God, the modern American church begins with the world's premise. Instead of beginning with the fear of the Lord, the modern American church seems to fear what the world has told us to fear, accepting at face value what the world defines as the starting point for all things, only going to scriptures after they have been scared, worried, or burdened by what they have learned from government, media, and the culture around them. The church tells us to fast and pray about Afghanistan and, more recently, Ukraine, but when the world told us that we must not worship together out of fear of getting sick, where were the calls for fasting and repentance against the lies of Satan expressed through our government, the media, and the culture? When the government destroyed our liberties and designated the work of most people as unnecessary or non-essential, where was the church's leadership? Why was there such a profound absence of calls for prayer and fasting in the face of out-of-control, unprecedented authoritarian demands from Western governments, including those in our own nation, state, counties, and cities? With few exceptions, the modern American church hid from the conflict. They paid fealty to government propaganda by closing their doors and cowering in fear. And when they returned to in-person gatherings, they did so with trepidation, posting their signs, limiting their numbers, wearing their masks, and in some instances even encouraging violation of their own members' consciences and bodily autonomy by urging the injection of experimental gene therapy. The church accepted all of the voodoo premises of the world, pleading for God to take away what the world pretended was real when they should have been petitioning the King of Kings to intervene to stop what was really going on. When we return, we're going to discuss what has been going on to our neighbors in the North in Canada and why the American church has mostly ignored it. You're listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to JesusAndTheMeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists, a weekly squidget devoted to the topic of discernment. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I'm your host, and I'm so excited to have back with us today to my left, Lynn. Hi, everybody. I'm so glad to be back. In fact, Penelope is probably happy for a rest because she always thought my word squidget was funny. And <laughs> Lynn doesn't make fun of me for that. No, um, I don't discriminate. Everybody discriminates. It's what we use to discriminate and how we discriminate, right? We discriminate between what clothes we're going to wear today. Am I going to wear, if you're a female, I'm going to wear pants or a dress, right? If it's cold out, am I going to wear my heavy coat that's maybe more formal versus my heavy coat that's like for sled riding and 
like we call them puffer jackets, right? So we're constantly discriminating. It's, it's are we discriminating on the right basis and according to what is true, right? Oh, okay. Well, and then not let me unfairly rephrase. discriminating. I'm only discriminating <coughs> kindly, I suppose. <laughs> All <laughs> right. So kindness. in addition to Lynn, we have uh, Winnie returning and Roger. Mm-hmm. Hi. And I said, uh, <laughs> that was a funny little squeak. <laughs> when, when Roger was out getting candy for the studio, I, I mentioned that Winnie is short for Winifred, but we couldn't figure out what Roger would be short for. Mm-hmm. Roger Fred? Roger Fed? Roger Fred. Ro- Roger Federer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you may have recognized that after two years of destroying all order and individual liberty in mad pursuit of ending an inescapable virus, the new call from government, media, and culture is what? Pray for Ukraine. Pray for Ukraine. In fact, I read a, um interesting little meme which I'll quote here from my phone that I that I showed you right before we came in, and that is it's a picture. I'm sure some people have seen this around Batman and Robin cartoon, and Robin says, "I'm double masked and just got my booster." Batman slaps him across the face and says, "It's pray for Ukraine this week." <laughs> right on cue, the modern American church has joined the chorus, telling us we must pray for Ukraine with the same angst, urgency, and diligence with which they told us to invest our lives in hiding from a cold and, quote, keeping our neighbors safe. Whereas during COVID mania, the heroes we were told to worship and who could do no wrong were the so-called frontline healthcare workers. That is, at least until some of them refused to take the shot. The new hero is Ukrainian President Zelensky. And like during COVID mania, anyone who employs his own critical thinking or dares question the official narrative is deemed a misinformant or guilty of peddling misinformation or not patriotic. Now, this is not to suggest that there are not actual refugees fleeing from a dangerous situation in Ukraine or that we should not pray for them. We should. And I'm by no means a special pleader for Russia or Vladimir Putin. They're all bad. But to borrow from Benjamin Martin, would you please tell me, American Evangelical Church, why should I pray for Christians 6,000 miles away in Ukraine while ignoring the plight of Christians who suffer under tyranny in Canada 600 miles away, virtually in your own backyard? By all means, pray for the Christians in Ukraine. But if you do so at the expense of Christians who are being persecuted in Canada— you will find at your doorstep a tyrant worse than Vladimir Putin. So, to discuss what is going on in Canada, we're now going to enter the... Houses of Analysis. Thanks. I'm so glad that our producer knew which one I was calling for, because we've kind of put the offices of hypothesis to bed. I mean, there's he's, he's gone away. His, <laughs> yeah. his, his absence turned into a sabbatical, turned into vacation, and now I think he's been kidnapped. All right, icebergs. Why has the modern American church largely ignored the plight of Christians in Canada? Well, how many of these modern churches are aware of what's going on in Canada? It's a good question. Yeah. Let's talk about what's going on in Canada briefly, and then I'm going to read a letter from a number of leaders in Canada. Everybody know about the truckers' protests? Yes. And what were the truckers' protests in response to? What started and led to the need for a truckers' freedom protest? Vaccine mandates. Vaccine mandates uh, were kind of the last straw, mm-hmm. but before that, restrictions on gatherings. We had pastors who in Canada 
even almost two years ago, had been jailed and threatened with with worse and, and fines and, and, and access to capital denied because of their proclamation of the gospel and their refusal to say, yes, we'll do whatever you want us to do, Mr. Trudeau. I said in our pre-production meeting, <clears throat> Justin Trudeau, of course, is the prime minister of Canada by title, but in all reality, he is a dictator, and he, he acts with the power of a dictator and takes the power of a dictator. So the dictator Trudeau in Canada has been repressing the freedoms and the rights of people in Canada, which led to a protest. And if, if you follow the protest, at the beginning of the protest, it was led by many Christians who not only began it peacefully, but they said, we also need to pray for those on the other side, our political enemies, because they know not what they do. And at every stage of the process, they were praying, they were worshiping God. There's there's video of this, there's video of them singing hymns. It was always a peaceful protest. The The protest, when it reached the capital city of Ottawa, took the form of if you read the mainstream media, they would think that they were some violent people like happened in Seattle or mm. Portland, right? Burning down the cities. But what did this consist of? Bouncy castles and ice skating rinks and grandmothers and wheelchairs and walkers. So the Canadian government was so threatened that they pulled out the Royal Canadian Mounted Police who began to trample, literally trample on old ladies uh, they took their firewood away so they couldn't stay warm as they were gathering, not causing any problems, just gathering. And it finally led to the institution of the Emergency Powers Act, which Justin Trudeau's father was the last person to institute, which essentially gave Trudeau full and complete control of everything without due process. And he was entitled, not entitled, he was an enabled... <laughs> He was enabled to uh, shut down bank accounts, seize people's assets without due process. And he wasn't just seizing the assets of the people who were participating in these peaceful protests, but he actually began going after the bank accounts of anybody who had donated to the cause. And uh, most of our listeners probably know about the GoFundMe scandal when nine million, over $9 million was raised on a platform that you know is called GoFundMe. GoFundMe at the urging of the Canadian government decided that they were going to seize those assets and give it to a charity of their own purpose rather than to the truckers that were the reason that the people gave. There's over 90,000 people who have given their money all over the world, most of whom are in Canada and the United States. At the urging of Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida and his attorney general, they said, ah, oh, that sounds like fraud. So GoFundMe said, oh, we're going to give the money back. They gave the money back, and then everybody redonated through, and a lot of them increased their giving through a platform called, called Give, Send, Go. And then the Canadian government cracked down and said, well, we're going to stop that money from going to its ultimate source where they want it to go. Oh, and then finally, to top it all off, by the way, the woman who was the public leader of this organization, she wasn't the only leader, but the one who became basically the spokesperson never did anything that was anything other than peaceful. And yet to make a show of it, they put her in jail without bail, as if she was a violent criminal. They put her in shackles uh, until one of the judges said, remove those shackles, fortunately. So there's clearly been a deliberate attack against Christians leading to a letter that I'll read in a moment. But 
why do you think with all of that that's going on in Canada, why is it that we went from praying for all those suffering with COVID to suddenly pray for the war-torn country in Ukraine, skipping altogether what has been happening in Canada just to our north? And I'll ask Lynn first. Some people might not like my response to this, but I have this feeling that it has more to do with the spiritual side of things than it does with the actual, you know, people side of things where I think people's perspectives or the people in leadership, their perspectives are kind of shifted more towards, um, well, what Satan wants them to see. And I think that basically what Satan wants them to see is, okay, well, pray about this thing over here. Right. Because he doesn't always just completely. Uh, hold on one second. Let me collect my thoughts. Well, it's, really a mani- quickly. it's a manipulation. Right. Yeah. If you can. What did Jesus tell us that the chief quality of Satan is the fact that he is dishonest. Right. Mm-hmm. He says lying is his native tongue. Uh-huh. And he says you were cast out of heaven because you lied. Right. And and you tried to set yourself up um, in rebellion against God. So. Of course, Satan is going to use deception and try as his to shift co- your key tool. perspective. Right. And if you're trying to deceive somebody, do you come right out and say, hey, I'm going to trick you? <laughs> no. What do you do when, when you're trying to trick someone? What, what are the tools that you use to fool someone? You make it look as close to the truth as possible. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. As close to the truth as possible, because then you really will deceive the undiscerning. This is why the serpent is referred to as the most... Subtle. The Bible tells us that Satan, above everything else, is was very subtle, and that's in the King James translation, mm-hmm. which is so key to deceiving someone because pray for Ukraine, obviously, superficially, sounds like what who would deny that? Who would exactly. who would say that's mm-hmm. not a good thing to do? It's a war torn country, there's refugees. Yes. But if we can pray for them at the expense of focusing on what we should be focusing on right here. Go ahead, Winnie. I was just going to say it also shows a lack of curiosity and intelligence in our leaders in the church because they're not even looking past the news and finding this. Because it's not hard to find. You just have to know where to look. That's exactly right. It is stunning <clears throat> the lack of critical thinking and unwillingness to look farther than the surface. I know we've used this example before, but I've, I frequently say if a snake crawled into your room in the middle of the night and declared himself, A, a man, and then said, I'm here to protect you, would you roll over and say, oh, good. I'm so glad this snake is here to protect me. No. <laughs> Why not? If the snake is speaking, he's here to kill me. Exactly. There's it's something just... about this seat over here. Lynn is sitting in the same seat that Penelope was sitting in, and she said that same thing the last time I used that example. Yeah, she said, the first thing I would ask is, yeah. why is the snake talking? <laughs> no, yeah, if a snake was speaking at all, even if it wasn't speaking, I would still, I wouldn't be able to sleep with a snake yeah. in my room. But, but if the snake tells you that he's okay and he's not going to hurt you, why shouldn't you take the snake's words? Come on, give, come on, Roger, give, give a little good faith or, or let's not assume the worst of the snake. <laughs> I am going to assume the worst of the snake. <laughs> We're going to make armor of out history. of the snake. Then he'll protect me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe make a nice pair of boots. boots yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although not in Tennessee because it's illegal to kill snakes in Tennessee. So you can go buy your snakeskin boots somewhere else. But you wear them the in Tennessee. Yeah, We're just kidding. We're just ki- no. <laughs> nobody killed snakes on set. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a that's a really important point, Winnie. 
because the church should be leading in being discerning above anybody, right? We have the mind of Christ. Anybody who has been transformed by the renewing of his mind, right, as it says in Romans 12, 2, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And yet, a lot of the church, too much, certainly a majority and a great majority of the church leadership anyway, seems unwilling or unable to look beyond the surface of what's happening around them. Yeah, and it just makes them look really ignorant, and it plays into the hands of the media and the big leaders. Yes, that's a good point. Go ahead, Roger, and then I want to come back to playing into the hands. Yeah, I was going to say, it's it's not that you can't take them seriously because you do but it what's the word either their credibility their sincerity is kind of lessened it's hard to uh, believe them as as being really sincere because you say well well, everything you're praying for is everything that's on the headlines in the news you know why aren't we praying about why this is happening you know why it's all the it's again it's the surface level like everyone's saying it's not going deeper into the subject matter at hand yeah not not asking why Right? How about that simple question? Okay, why is the media urging me to pray for Ukraine? Maybe I should dig a little bit deeper and ask what's really going on there. You know, is Ukraine good? Again, no, Russia's not good here, but is Ukraine good? Ukraine's held out as if there's some bastion of freedom and Zelensky is some moral man. And I hear church mm-hmm. leaders getting My behind. pastor just last week told us that we should look up to him because he was such a hero for staying uh, in his country. It's so discouraging mm. that Christians just fall right into that because the media has told them, never mind that he was an actor and a very um, strange actor. You know, the, the entire country of Ukraine, war-torn as it is, is subject to such corruption. There's so much corruption in that country. All you have to know if you want to ask critical questions is why is Justin Trudeau a big supporter of Ukraine, right? Here's this dictator who's crushing his people in Canada. Why is he a big supporter? Why is George Soros? Why are all of the Davos crowd, the World Economic Forum, who want one world order, Klaus von Schwab, who seeks the Great Reset, and um, this digital dictatorship, which they desire and are really getting close to achieving, why are all of these people supporting Ukraine? And why is our church not asking this question? Why does the church not say, hmm, wait, before I consider Zelensky a hero, before I pray for Ukraine generally, maybe I better know about what's really going on and say, am I aligning myself with people who want one world order, digital dictatorship, and who are supported both literally and um, in spirit by people like George Soros and Bill Gates and others? That's not company we want to find ourselves in, especially as the church in America, is it? No, not at all. It's like when you, your parents tell you, choose your friends wisely because they have such a great impact on how you turn out. It goes the same way for churches. That's yeah, exactly, exactly. The Canadian government under the direction of Trudeau has for two years actively sought to stamp out proclamation of the gospel under the guise of keeping its citizens safe shutting down churches, imprisoning pastors for preaching the gospel. Persecution of Canadian citizens under these draconian health restrictions led to this peaceful trucker's convoy that captured the imagination of the entire world. Instead of listening to the concerns of his own people, however, the prime minister has attempted to crush, marginalize, 
mischaracterize and absolutely lie about the protesters and their motivations. In the face of egregious lawlessness by the ones charged with upholding the law, the American church has looked the other way. Indeed, the silence from the American evangelical church about what is going on in Canada has been deafening. Well, fortunately, the church in Canada has a few real heroes, as evidenced by a letter composed by a group of Canadian pastors to Justin Trudeau and the Canadian government. And I'm going to read this very important letter, just a page and a half. This is an open letter to Justin Trudeau and the federal government. To the prime minister and federal government, we are writing to you as representative pastors of Christian congregations from across the nation and as law-abiding citizens who respect the God-defined role of civil government and who uphold the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the highest law of our land which recognizes the supremacy of God over all human legislation. For the past two years, we have sought to respectfully and peaceably make known to all levels of government our profound concern about the indefinite suspension of civil liberties, coercive mandates, and perpetual state interference in the life, freedom, and worship of the church. Freedoms guaranteed by both our inherited common law tradition and charter. We've also prayed earnestly for our governing authorities, met with them, written letters and petitions, peacefully gathered for protest with other concerned citizens, and in some cases filed lawsuits. We have used every lawful means at our disposal to be heard and taken seriously. Yet at every turn we have been largely ignored, brushed aside, insulted, and even told that we in no way represent Canadians. In recent weeks, the hugely popular truckers' convoy containing many Christians, including pastors, has captured the imagination not only of this nation, but other nations around the world, laying bare that we have expressed and argued for months is indeed representative of the concerns of millions of ordinary Canadians who value peace, personal responsibility, and liberty. The Ottawa protest has presented your government with a wonderful opportunity to meet with and speak to ordinary Canadians lawfully and peaceably, requiring the restoration of their constitutional rights. However, in response to their singing, praying, dancing, candy floss, bouncy castles, speeches about the Constitution, and outpourings of patriotic love for the country, your government has not only refused to meet with these citizens to hear their concerns, you have insulted, denigrated, and lied about them, further dividing a hurting and broken nation. As ambassadors of Christ... While we respect your office as a public servant and honor the limited role of civil authority as a ministry of public justice, we do not hesitate to fulfill our responsibility as servants of the living God by unapologetically reminding you that Jesus Christ is Lord and King and ruler of the kings of the earth. He sets up kings and pulls down the mighty from their thrones, and none can stay his hand. In the words of the same scriptures engraved on the Peace Tower in Ottawa and written into our very national coat of arms, Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. This is from Psalm 2, verses 1 through 12. Mr. Trudeau, with great respect, you are neither the king nor the ruler of Canada. 
both you and your colleagues are public servants, sent for a short time to Parliament at our behest as citizens to govern under God in terms of the Canadian Charter and to seek a harmony of public legal interest. You do not grant people rights and responsibilities that are theirs as God's image bearers and a free people. Since you do not grant them, you, sir, have no authority to remove them. Your government does not grant people the right to their bodily integrity, the right to work or earn a living, the right to decide for their children or to be with their families or dying loved ones, the right to gather to worship and obey God, the right to travel in their own land or enter and leave. Civil government exists to protect these pre-political and fundamental freedoms, not to bestow and remove them as if it can function in the place of God. As such... We, as Christian pastors, condemn in the strongest possible terms your unprecedented invoking of the Emergency Powers Act with the intent of bringing unaccountable state power to bear on peaceful citizens, men, women, and children, who've been stripped of their fundamental freedoms for two years and who have in many cases lost everything as a result of your government's mandates. There is no national emergency and to invoke one to crush peaceful political dissent is a totalitarian act of repression displaying weakness, not strength. These tyrannical actions are exposing this government and people to the judgment of God, and we are deeply concerned that you do not appreciate the significance of God's wrath upon a rebellious and lawless nation. We implore you, therefore, to step back from the brink, restore the constitutional freedoms of the people, Respect the God-given rights of our citizenry, and above all, to humble yourself and take a knee before Christ the King, lest you perish in the way. We urge you to repent of the sins of pride, rebellion against God, and bearing false witness. You have not displayed a brotherly care and love for these honest, hard-working people who have tried to peacefully bring their very serious concerns to your attention. Our hope and prayer for you and your government is that you will lift the emergency measures, end these lawless mandates, and enact justice for a people who elected you to that purpose. They end by quoting Psalm 72, verse 8. For he, meaning God, shall have dominion from sea to sea. Pretty powerful letter, right? Well, I think that deserves a gold horn. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Fantastic. Yes, so I sent that, and friends of mine sent it as well, to a number of pastors and to um, American citizens. I think this is one of the most important letters written in recent political times, and it's the first time in a long time that I've seen, because these pastors are among pastors who've already been jailed, jailed and released, jailed and released, fined, subject to all kinds of persecution because of their commitment to staying open and preaching the gospel. And they have been targeted, and so at the expense of their lives, because this this is a very dangerous thing to do. You write this letter in the face of a of a tyrant who has already shown his hand what he's going to do to go after people individually and to shut down their bank accounts and to jail them. It gives this letter more credibility, doesn't it? Because, because like um, Benjamin Franklin said, if we don't hang together, we will all hang separately, right? Uh-huh. Meaning that if we don't stick together as a group – fighting against our British 
overlords, then we're all going to be hung for treason. And that's essentially what these pastors have have done here. I, I just find it I find it amazing, and yet it's so lacking in the American church. Where is this leadership today? Any final comments? Yeah, no, I would say that the leadership in, like, the church of just recent years has just definitely gone closer towards the weak side, and we've kind of forgotten the whole, like, power of God and, like, how powerful he is and how powerful— he can make us in our standing up for Christianity. Mm-hmm. We, a lot of times even forget about the martyrs of the Bible and we don't even talk about those as far as I know, or at least we don't talk about how they died for their faith. And now we're actually facing persecution, like, you know, in Canada and people are just not talking about it. They're mm-hmm. avoiding the topic. And I think that's really sad. So I think that this letter that these pastors wrote is just absolutely fantastic. It's, something that I think everybody should have access to um, and actually look at, you know. So let me end with this question before I give you my conclusion. Why why is it that you mentioned the martyrs, Lynn? Why is it so easy for pastors to talk about martyrs of the past? They'll talk about persecution in countries that are thousands and thousands of miles away. And yet what's right under their noses they will not discuss. What do you think drives this separation? Why do they... And usually, when they're speaking about something that's happened 6,000 miles away, they talk about it with such vigor, and they'll put energy into it. They'll raise money, and they'll have prayer meetings and fasting and repentance, all the things that we're supposed to do. Why then don't they do it for the things that are happening right under their noses? Yeah, it's, it's almost like it's too close. Yeah, like they're afraid and they refuse to acknowledge that it might happen to them. So maybe if they just ignore it, it'll go away. Probably. Yeah, if they pretend it doesn't exist. Well, yeah, but also probably for the same reasons that a lot of Christians don't really share their faith anymore, too. It's the fear of being judged and the fear of like, oh, what's going to happen if somebody asks me too many questions? Well, let me I think those are all correct well, I was also going to say maybe also because uh, it's easy to say pray for Ukraine when everyone else is saying it, but no one is saying pray for Canada. That's right. Canada is on the precipice of entering into full-scale authoritarianism, and its ungodly leader, this World Economic Forum darling, Justin Trudeau, is a fellow traveler, as we mentioned, with the president of Ukraine, seeking the same rebellious one-world order as Zelensky and many Ukrainian officials. Ignoring the illegal, immoral, and unjustified consolidation of power by the Canadian government over its citizens will have devastating consequences not only for Canadians, but if unchecked, will further fan the flames of tyranny and government lawlessness within our own borders right here in America. If the modern American church remains willfully ignorant of this issue or refuses to intercede for its Canadian neighbors, it will be culpable for the consequences. When we return, we will ask and answer a question or two about today's topic. This is Jesus and the Meteorologists. (laughs) 
There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media at Tennessee Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and I am still your host. I want to jump right to questions because I don't want Lynn to forget her question, and Roger had some analysis. So, Lynn, would you mind asking us your question, and we can open it up for a little bit of dialogue here at the end. Yeah, I would like to know what can we do to actually address these issues of not talking about certain things in the church, and how can we encourage our church leaders to talk about them more, even though it's a tough topic to actually start with? I have my answers, but before I give mine, Winnie or Roger, any ideas? I mean, just speaking out and saying it yourself would be a big thing. Always the number one thing you should do. Because what happens if I tell you, Winnie, that Winnie, let's say that you're driving down the street in your car, and I, and I'm, and I happen to be behind you in, uh, you know, Middle Tennessee, and I notice that behind you um, is a a a chain, and and there's a ball that's connected to the chain that has all these steel things sticking out, and it's just it had gotten caught under your car, like you you'd driven over and somehow got picked it up, and it's just destroying the road behind you, right? Mm-hmm. And so I I I get your attention, I beep, and I I pull over, you pull over. And I say, hey, Winnie, did you know you just ran over this chunk of metal that's now carving up the whole road? Okay. All I've done is I've told you. I don't have any obligation to make you stop. I don't have any obligation to make you take that off your car. But by telling you about this, what have I done? You've opened up the opportunity for me to address it. And as between you and everyone else who drives on the road, you and the government, you and the public – who is now responsible for fixing that problem? Me. Yeah. So I've transferred culpability to you. It's one of the biggest benefits. We A lot of times people get discouraged. They say, oh, I said something about it, but I couldn't persuade him to actually take action. Well, that's not our duty ever, right? God mm-hmm. is the one who persuades. God can change hearts and minds. Our duty is to speak the truth. And what happens when you speak the truth is the person that knows now has knowledge. And when you have knowledge... You are culpable. What you do with that now is it's your responsibility, and that's what God is after. God isn't after about fixing this road. He's about culpability and restoration from culpability, right? Our salvation depends upon our repentance and turning to him. So speaking the truth is always the very start, even if it appears that, well, nobody's listening to me. Well, that's between them and God, right? Once you transfer that information to them, and speak the truth, now they are culpable with that information. And if they don't do something about it, that becomes their responsibility between them and God. And that's serious. What else? Oh, I was just going to say, it's it's inspiring that letter that we read, or that you read, that letter is so based in Scripture and our faith and what we believe that it's really inspiring to hear Christians saying this because at least in the past two years, it's been apparent that... Um, Many Christians have not been standing up, at least not in groups like this, maybe one here, one there, but certainly no letters, 
like that in America. And even the ones who have been standing up are not necessarily believers. So in a way, it's it's kind of embarrassing, a part of it, um, as Americans. But it's also inspiring for those who are you know, protesting in Canada that they are doing it, grounding it in their faith. They're not just grounding it in, well, we have rights as people, but they're saying we have rights as people created by God. So, right. Which is an important point, too, because I've I've often been asked the question, okay, Kevin, you can speak about this in in an American way because America was founded upon very unique principles of order and liberty, the best that ever could have been established in the history of the world. What about people who are in living under authoritarianism? And my point is, well, despite the fact their official government structure might still be authoritarian, our rights still come from God no matter where you live. And so how you challenge those who are living in authority over you is always the same. For years and years, we lived under representative government, and although we still have the appearance of a representative government, most people in our society now are recognizing pretty quickly that those we elect work not with our consent, but generally against our consent. And because of that, the only way that we can effectively return or restore any kind of freedom is to say, look, if you're going to work against my consent, you leave me with no option but to disobey you. You're being lawless. We've elected you with our consent to do what we've asked you to do. And if you actually act the opposite of what we've asked you to do, you are undermining our authority as the people. And the people, we get our rights from God. Government is a further extension, right? They're further yeah. away from the ultimate rights. So, yes, it, it's, it's a little embarrassing that American pastors who have the greatest liberty structurally of any place ever in the history of the world – are not standing up like this, and you wonder if they are they negligent? Do they really not think that this is? Do they not see it? It's not happening. When you look like you wanted to add something, no, <laughs> it's just agreeing with you. I would add one more thing, and then we'll we'll finish. And that is, Lynn. I think the manner in which you tell this truth, there are multiple different ways to communicate it. You can talk to your friends about it, talk to your family about it. You can send this letter, and I gave you, I just emailed you a link. You can send this letter, circulate it. You can give it to one pastor, hopefully give it to another pastor. You can give it to elders, deacons, um, church leaders, and one at a time. It's like the gospel, right? And we don't know who's going to receive it well and who's going to reject it. Some people have received this letter well. Some people have dismissed it. Some people have been non-responsive when I've sent it. So I've gotten all, all different types of comments but God is raising up leaders, and I, I do believe what we're seeing in America, in the American church in particular, is a transformation of the official institution of church and its leadership is being replaced with the members in the body of Christ who are not currently occupying positions of leadership, but they're actually in the membership of the church, and they're saying, this is not right, this is not <laughs> yeah. biblical, right? We need to reestablish a biblical authority for why we go to church. That's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. That was a long one. Thanks for your patience. Thanks again to our icebergs. Lynn, welcome back. Our producer, Rachel, and to all of our listeners and supporters. In the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, we aim to find and develop young men and women who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. And how can we know what we're to do? Unless, Unless we, we believe, believe what, what is, is true. true. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and you've been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists.